with my students, mm-hmm. we used to do this and we called it the one twelfth mindset. Basically, when you broke down the difference between Derek Jeter and this very average MLB player, the difference was one out of every 12 hits. One out of every 12 hits more Derek Jeter made. And so we talked a lot about Mm. the fact that like 12 times, only one of them did Derek Jeter was able to connect when this guy didn't. And that's the difference between kind of being an average player and a superstar. And so when you think about... Mm do my actions make a difference? I think it's like embracing this one twelfth mindset, like the smallest things. When you start to think about how do I start change? I want this to be more cultural feedback. What do I do? What can you start doing? That's a pretty small thing because it's still going to have an impact. Welcome to Educator Happy Hour, a space for all educators to think, drink, and nerd out together over issues that affect our lives. Whether it's exploring the latest educational research or sharing our embarrassing classroom stories, we're here to have candid conversations in order to connect together and grow together. So grab a seat, grab your beverage of choice, and bring your authentic self. You're back from Indiana. I'm back from Indiana, and I have Wi-Fi now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is happening. So uh, for new listeners, last time around, um, Ming apparently was in the armpit of America where uh, you, just, you just didn't have any Wi-Fi. You, you didn't make it. Now you're back in Chicago, Chicago land. I got Wi-Fi here. Yeah. Hey, here's a question. Like, do you say you're from Chicago? I don't. Because okay. I'm not. What's your like? Okay, what's your standard? Because I have talked to some people that are like, I'm from Chicago. And then I find out they're like an hour away from like downtown Chicago. So like, what's what's oh, your radius? When people say like, yeah, like where actually. do you live? That <laughs> whole right, thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I say I, we're in the Chicago suburbs. Like, So I'll say like, okay. where, because <laughs> I'm one of those snooty people because I lived in the city for five, six years, something like that, five years. And I'm like, you're not living in the city. You don't get to yeah. say you're from Chicago. <laughs> so now I'm like keenly aware. Yeah. I live in the suburbs. Yeah. I'm a suburbanite. Now, now you, you police them, but you at least link it. It's like, I'm, I'm at least friends with the cool kid. Um, I'm in the Chicago suburbs. Um, okay, so last time around, we, we gave each other some homework. Do you remember what your homework yeah, assignment was? Yeah, my homework was about saying no. Yeah, how'd it go? Terrible. I'm terrible at it, Chase. <laughs> like, even when I was like, I'm going to, I think the last time a principal asked if I would sub, and I was like, okay, Chase, I'm going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> I felt so bad. Like, you know, we're short staffed, and I did it. I subbed yeah. in PE and music, and I had the best time. So I'm really glad I mm. did it. But, so you're you're saying yes. You're like going Oprah style. Say yes to everything. <laughs> the opposite of last week's episode. Totally. Um, <laughs> he would be so disappointed yep. in my answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about but you, Chase? Like bring fulfillment. Um, so mine was to like re- like lean into, embrace one of the roles that I don't um, typically. Yeah. And which um, identity so did you take I, on? I had a, yeah, I had a couple moments where like I and this might sound kind of terrible, but I had to like remind myself of like, nope, I'm in like full stay at home dad mode mm. when I was with my daughter, because that's one of my temptations is like, you know, I'm with my daughter a lot of the times when I'm not speaking or teaching my college class. Um, and it was like 
I get distracted. I'm like, oh, I could be doing this. I could be responding to this. Even like stuff around the house. Yeah. Like, oh, I got to do the, the laundry and I got to, you know, paint the front door. Um, but I had those moments where I was like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm just going to fully embrace this. And honestly, what helped me was like setting almost like timers hmm. of like, if I did need to get crap done, I would literally set a timer of like 45 minutes. I'm going to be in work mode and then I'm going back to dad mode. Um, and that was really helpful for me of like, still kind of like feeding that itch or that impulse to, uh, you know, do the things, all the different roles, but like give myself boundaries and limits, which was one of my big takeaways. That's cool, Chase. You found a system that works for you with balance of not going either or too far, but kind of right in the middle for you. Yeah, and it's been one week, so obviously the system is (laughs) flawless. Like It's perfect. (laughs) nothing, Nothing will go wrong. Um, so I need to update you since you didn't get a chance to respond to our statement polls, yes! um, or at least yes! like in, in the moment with Andrew. Um, so our first statement was Bigfoot is real. And here's what Instagram had to say. 15% strongly agreed. 22% agreed. So like, you know, 37% of people think there's at least some potential existence of Bigfoot. Um, 37% disagreed. <laughs> 26% strongly disagreed. Kind of a mixed bag. Kind of a mixed bag. Any thoughts on is, Bigfoot? Is Bigfoot the same as that abominable snowman? Well, so I don't Some people might get into a whole analysis of like, what is a Yeti versus a Sasquatch? Are they related? Similar well, what is idea a Bigfoot, of like an ape like. It'd be a Sasquatch. Like a Sasquatch is a, 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 a not snow uh, environment, sort of like gorilla person, ape person. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I'd like to think something like that exists. <laughs> I would choose to believe in that. Um, I really was hoping you're around here because I posed to Andrew the, the statement of secondary teachers, middle high school teachers, have bigger workloads than elementary teachers. What's the result? And 12% strongly agreed. 28% agreed. So 40% of people were in the agree or strongly agree category. Um, and the rest were pretty, pretty split, like 32% disagreed, 28% strongly disagreed. So that one was a pretty mixed bag. Um, I had This was the one I had a lot of people responding. They're like, this is an unfair question. There's no <laughs> way to answer this. Like they, they just didn't want to take it. They were aside. trying to pull a Ming on that, huh? Yeah, they were. They were like, where's the neutral? Um, yeah, and then our last one was the teaching profession would benefit if teachers said no more often. Mm. And 30% strongly agreed, 57% agreed. So 87% of people um, in some way, shape, or form agreed. No one strongly disagreed with that, but 13% disagreed. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's great. I, honestly, like much of my audience is probably teachers, so that's why it might be a little skewed that way. Um, <laughs> But we're going to be diving into a new topic today. Uh, we have a guest who's um, really going to help us hash out this idea of like resistance to change. Like, why is it hard to change systems? And right before you and I started recording, like there was kind of this conversation of like, what are the big changes that need to happen in schools? Like, why is it so hard to make those changes happen? Um, Ultimately, like it comes down to the adults. Like how do we Uh get adults in a position where they want to embrace change? Um, Our guest is Beth Napleton. Beth Napleton is an executive leadership coach, consultant, and the owner and founder of Beth Napleton Consulting. She offers senior leaders and 
in education and at mission-driven organizations, a clear path to excellence through individual, executive, and group coaching experiences. Additionally, she offers busy leaders a container and her expertise so they can expand their capacity in all areas. She's a solo parent who lives in NYC with her three amazing kids. Now, we don't know if that's New York City proper (laughs) or a suburb of New York. We'll have to ask her. Maybe we will have to ask her. Uh, We're going to welcome on Beth Napleton. Um, we do have a a really important question for you that we were talking about. Um, I saw in your bio, you live in New York City. Is that correct? <laughs> and the real question is, are you in New York City proper? Because Ming and I were debating, like, she's from Chicago suburbs. Like, where is the line of, like, if you're actually in New York or not? That is funny because I used to live in Chicago and I, yeah. people would be like a Chicago land Facebook parents group. I'm like, you live in the 815 area code. That is not the city. <laughs> but I do. I live in Brooklyn. So okay. you are in city proper. Yes. Yes. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, So one of the questions we often lead off with our guests is if you're having a stressful or or challenging day, um, what is your drink or your decompressor of choice when you're having a rough day? Um, Probably in a better world. In my best version of myself, I meditate. That's always Mm. a good thing to do to help me decompress. But I also have a ginger beer. I really enjoy Mm. ginger beer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little refreshing. How spicy no do you like your ginger beer? Like, do you like it to like destroy your mouth as you're as you're consuming it? That's a good question. And sometimes there are ones that have like all the sediment. And you have to like shake them up, <laughs> and you're like, "What is happening?" Those are good, but I just I go for the like gaslines in the can. It's like predictable. It's probably not as good as the best ones, but it's like consistently strong. <laughs> mm, I like it. Ming, are you a ginger beer person? I am. I like a good ginger yeah. beer. Yeah. Well, cheers, everyone, um, to whatever your your there ginger beer. I'm I'm holding up. A wine right now. Uh, Ming, what do you got? A water? Just it's water. a water. Lame. I knew, you knew <laughs> it. it. You knew it water. before it even came into the shot. <laughs> Uh, well, Beth, I was really excited to um, hear from you as we dive into a topic that like, I think a lot of people are dealing with. Like Ming and I were talking about um, just before you came on of like really bracing this conversation around the difficulty of change in schools. Like it is mm-hmm. so hard to launch initiatives and to make even like minor changes. And a lot of it seems to stem around just like the adults the people in charge. And so my lead question is, are adults the worst? That's, that's the question. Like, are they just the worst? Uh, like, I what's going say, on with adults? Yeah. If you ask that question to any principal <laughs> on the right day, you're going to get up for sure. <laughs> yep. Right? Educators, yep. it's like we go in it. We expect to be surrounded by kids. We know that, you know, they're going to be in the ups and downs of development. And then you sometimes get in these positions, your coaches, your deans, your principals, and you're like, oh, my God, like what? Give me back. Give me the seventh graders back. (laughs) Hey, oh, my gosh. Like I can the anytime I had a rough day, it was like. 95% 95% of the time, it was because of adult interactions. Like, right. anytime we'd have, like, the full PD days where we're having to, like, uh, just be in meeting and meeting and try to hash things out. Like, those are the moments where I'm like, man, like you said, like, give me the students back. Like, this is, an angsty teenager is way <laughs> yes. easier for me to deal with than an angsty adult. Um, right, because you're yeah. supposed to be that way. That is what the, you know, the journey <laughs> is about. And with adults, we're like, what is going on with you? But yes, it's... <laughs> 
it is. There are, like, you know, it's funny because I often say in my work, like, I help with the adult problems that get in the way of students mm-hmm. thriving. And no educator has ever said to me, what do you mean? <laughs> right? No one's ever been like, what? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So having, like, I mean, you have a very extensive background as an educator, as a school leader, as a school founder. Um, so, like, you've seen from all different dimensions and angles. And now you work with, with coaching and consulting leaders. Um, what are some of like the, if you had like a few of the core things, like what are the most common roadblocks that you see coming from adults that make change or initiatives hard to implement? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, like there change is hard for us as humans, right? We mm-hmm. tend to like the status quo. And some people like change more than others. I mean, mm. we just moved to Brooklyn in June. And I remember talking to a good friend of mine and I was, you know, she was like, I would never do this. I hate change. I do everything in my life to not have change. She stayed mm. the same job for 20 years that she hated, right? To not wow. have change wow. before she finally made a career change. And so like that's dedication to not change. Exactly. <laughs> people will do a lot to not Because change is the unknown, right? Maybe it'll be better, but maybe it'll be worse. How do you know? And so I think that there is a psychological element to not knowing what change will bring, being afraid. And even if you're unhappy with the status quo, you know, it still might be better than what's coming, right? Who knows? And so I think that that there's a lot, I mean, there are, you know, books and studies and all kinds of work on change management. How do you build effective change? And you can look at it like via a large social movement. And you can look at it by like, what if we want to start a new Halloween tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, really, Mm -hmm. it's like minor versus major, but in a lot of ways it is about how do you help get people excited about a vision? How do you identify barriers? How do you, you know, get comfortable going ahead even without full agreement and consent? And I think that those Mm -hmm. things are difficult. And particularly for educators, I think that people are attracted to to the field because they want to make a difference. It's generally harmonious, right? You don't have a bunch of like trial lawyers in a, a room going at each other. It can provoke conflict and it's uncomfortable. So I think that change is hard. I have a question about change. Okay. What would you say to the people? I work with people who are like, I love change. Bring it on. It's so great. (laughs) And then we're like, okay, your position's changing. No. Or like, like, what would (laughs) you, what advice would you give to people who think they embrace it, but really they want to run from it. (laughs) Well, I think it's like two pieces of advice. One is that when you hear that from someone, like approach it with some skepticism, because it's just, (laughs) it's like, even like people like to run, people say like, I love to run, but do you want to run for a thousand miles? Right? Like everybody Mm. has their limits of change. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, one thing we're always thinking about is like, you know, there's what's going on with you at work and there's what's going on with you at home. And then there's what's going on in the world. And so when Mm. we think about times like the pandemic, right, where like the world was bananas Mm -hmm. and then that meant home was bananas, change at work became so hard and so difficult and so compounded because it was happening in all three layers. And while there's not always like a, you know, thank God, a global pandemic going Mm. on, (laughs) you know, you, 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 you have things where people, you know, you would say, I thought you were really excited about this new curriculum. I thought everyone was really Mm. into this. And it's like, you know, it could be that a lot's going on at home. It can be that like, you know, reading the newspaper every day is like fairly terrifying. Right. And so people's Mm -hmm. like bandwidth for change can be really varied. Mm. And it's difficult to lead in those situations because, you know, if we do this, it will make our school better. We'll deliver on our promises for kids. We'll do this. But it's hard to have adults around in in between who might be upset or unwilling or might, you know, maybe they're a really effective team member, but maybe they'll leave, right? That there's all this unknown. And that can be, it can be hard for leaders to know, like, how to forge through that. And so that's where I think having a coach or consultant to help out can be useful. 
Yeah, I would love to explore that idea a little bit because, um, you know, I think that is one of the challenges is no one, it's going to be hard to get everyone on board for even like a small mm-hmm. change. Like even if it's like, <laughs> hey, we're going to do this fundraiser instead of this fundraiser. And then someone's mm-hmm, like, well, that was my mm-hmm. favorite fundraiser. I loved it for my entire life. Um, like, is there like a percentage, <laughs> a ratio that you recommend to school leaders of like, hey, your goal is to get at least X percent of your staff at least yeah. open to the change. Uh, where do you where do you draw the line of like, hey, green light, yellow light, red light? Like, where's the tipping yeah, point, I Chase? Yeah. Oh, tipping yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. I think it is, you know, and look, I, I think it's situational, which is probably a frustrating answer. But I mean, honestly, there are times where I counsel leaders like, you know the right thing to do and you need to make this change even if nobody agrees with you, right? Hmm. This is your job. This is what you get paid Hmm. to do. And a lot of times this comes into play with like personnel issues, like extremely (laughs) popular teacher or coach has done something bad, Mm. right? And sometimes the law tells you it's time to say goodbye. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more of a gray area and you need to make a judgment call. And it's difficult because not everybody you know, not everybody can know all like the pieces that go into that. So sometimes the the only person who matters is you, (laughs) right? Which is, but that's very lonely. Um, I think that I also would tell people to think about things like, you know, so the fundraiser example is a good one because I think that people can be so tied to even the smallest pieces. Like, you know, if you're looking at a team of, let's say, 100 people for round numbers, how many will actually be affected by it? And if it's like mm-hmm. five people who'll be affected, like how, check in with those five, right? And if all yeah. five are against it, okay. But if 95 have nothing to do with this, they're just going to talk in the corner and, you know, you know, be a little gossipy as adults <laughs> can be, just like their students, yeah. right? Then maybe it's time to kind of, you know, let that go. Or if you're sitting there thinking, Okay, you know, this is a math curriculum and the math the math department is just fried this year and like this is where we're at and where like you have to really take it into context and I think a lot of times one of the things I'll do when I come in is sometimes people will say, "Well, people won't really give me the solid truth. They like I'm their boss, I'm their manager." So we'll do focus groups, we'll do interviews. I was on site with a client today talking about their staff culture and kind of getting people's candid opinion and people feel really comfortable talking to someone who's an outsider, so that can be like mm. a useful mm-hmm. way to triangulate it. Or around kind of major change across districts or an area. So there's no like exact number, but you're thinking about like, where do I want to go? How do I get there? And then I think the other piece that I always try and remind leaders is that, you know, there's a lot of research about surprise is an emotion that magnifies the underlying emotion. So that's why like, (laughs) if somebody has like a surprise proposal, it's like so exciting. And then it's surprise. And it's like, oh my gosh. Or right. Like, the off the other example, like sudden loss, right? Somebody dies. Mm. Sudden, I mean, poor Matthew Perry just died. It was like shocking that he died and it was a surprise and he had done mm. this. And so I think that whenever you can, as a leader, you want to remove the element of surprise. So if you start to think you're going to start to change the fundraiser, you might want to start to mention you're going to change the fundraiser. No decisions have been made yet. We'll talk about this next year. We'll do this. But I think sometimes that can tamp down some of the like backlash or the, I didn't know, or what do you, you can do a survey. What would you think if we did this? And then at least you know, hey, 95 people are going to be noisy about this. And that's actually a point of data for me to use. And so there's a lot of ways to, I think like the other element I would say is that like, when you're thinking about change and the element of surprise can kind of help, you can help dial back from that a little bit and Mm. and avoid some of the backlash. 
Yeah, I think that like what I'm hearing in a lot of this is is just kind of the the reminder, the key that like any sort of change or shift is like this really nebulous, cloudy, complicated thing, um, which some people are like totally cool with working in those conditions. And some people like they want the, the little data points of like, well, how many people do we need to get on board with that? Um, and so for many folks, like sometimes it is a matter of like how much do I preview it? For other folks, it is like we just need to dive in and get our feet wet and start getting after it. Um, but those things can be really, really unsettling for a lot of staff and a lot of individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ming, I mean, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about the importance of like clarity, like how, how clear in communication are you with the folks that you serve and the people around you? Um, I would I would be curious to know, like, how, what are some of the biggest like fails you've either personally <laughs> experienced or seen of like the, the I, wanting to make a change or an innovation in a school district or a setting that like did not go well. I would love to hear a horror story. (laughs) Yeah, no, I have many. I have many from my own experiences. My clients, thankfully, don't have so many. But, you know, when I was growing, I founded a middle and high school that grew. So we started with fourth and fifth grade and grew a grade a year um, until Mm. the first group graduated. And so it became clear when the oldest, the students who'd started in fifth grade were in seventh grade as we started to plan the high school out. Our school was going to be very small. It was about 60 kids a grade. And as we started to think about the options we wanted to have, like AP courses or maybe the IB program, it just became, our size just became like a source of frustration because, um, you know, how do we think about like, especially in secondary Exactly. And like, how do you help with the teacher training? And and people are Mm. teaching multiple subjects. And we knew that it would be best for people to teach, you know, one subject, maybe two, you know, one subject, maybe two preps. But like, we're looking at three or four. Well, this is an ideal in the kind of college prep high school world. How do we do this? And so, you know, and there are like options like that we wanted to have. And so anyway, we started working with some people who were like a little bit more I would say, like, innovative than maybe we had been. And they talked about mm. some various curricula we could use that would kind of be a mix of more self-directed learning, and it would really help um, students. And, you know, this was in maybe, like, maybe mid-year. And it became kind of clear to me that if we were going to do this for the high school, we actually should start this in the eighth grade so the mm. transition wasn't as rough. And so I, we started doing some work. And at the time, and this is key to understanding the fail, I thought I was giving this plenty of time. I was like, we're going to start this next <laughs> September. We're going to start talking about it now. I'm going to like have two parent meetings about it. We're going to send home a letter. I'm going to get some of my most vocal staff on board. Because that's one of the other pieces mm. is like not every voice is weighted the same. Uh, right? Yeah, and so right. who's uh, most vocal? Who has uh, the followers? Who's like yeah. an influencer in the school? So there's like a lot of pieces to read here. So I got some of my influencers on board. We were doing these applications. We're going to clear the summer for the training. This is going to be so great. And of course, the school system that had piloted this and innovated this and had some great results, it was like really exciting and really great. And they had all great things to say. And it just was a real, it it was not, I mean, there was a lot that was, there was a lot that worked well about it, Hmm. um, but there was a lot like the curriculum wasn't as rigorous as we needed to be. It actually, in some way, it created a different set of problems. So it kind of solved some of the problems we were solving, but created different problems. Our parent community was very skeptical. It was not really in line with the, what their kids had been experiencing. And then it was a rant, you know, kind of a shift. A lot of our kids ended up leaving for selective schools. And so a lot of our staff ended up leaving because even though I had involved them and made them part of the process and like, we'll make the decision and we'll figure this out. Like, I think it felt forced upon them. And Mm. I think that that 
just like ultimately didn't go so well. We ended up switching. We actually ended up switching like right maybe like a year before the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, we were like, oh, that was actually the perfect one to have in a remote learning environment. Um, and, you know, now those students who who were un- the unfortunate guinea pigs are now in college. And so, like, I think there was a lot that they say, like, they took from it and they learned from that experience. But I just think they kind of – it just, like, wasn't the right fit for us. And I think I yeah. tried to, like, really lead it. And I felt like it was plenty of time. And I, like, checked a lot of boxes with talking to people. But I don't think I really – let myself think about the downside if this wasn't the right decision and the downsides were fairly considerable. So, well, that's what I was curious of. Like if you had more time, what would have changed or to what extent was it like you just had to try it and and learn in the moment? Yeah. I mean, I do think that you're always going to, like, I always tell people, I think it was Nelson Mandela who said, we win or we learn. And so like, you're Mm -hmm. always going to learn something. There was no perfect curriculum. We would have had a different set of problems. Um, I think that in that particular situation, I wish I had gone to a lot of our problems could have been solved with a wider enrollment base. And I think that I missed an opportunity to like really paint a picture of like how we were great now and we would be great, but also we could do these other things that would be so great. And could we have, Mm -hmm. you know, recruit your friends, recruit your families, like let's get out there. Um, So I think that that probably, but, you know, we did learn a lot. And I think that Mm -hmm. it also really clarified, you know, sometimes like you learn what you're about by like going to see what you're not about. You're like, oh, we're actually not about that. And so we're going right back to what we were. And it kind of helps solidify that identity a little more. Yeah. Well, kudos for for having that experience and like walking away stronger from it, because I think that's a a lot of pressure comes down to like if you fail as a teacher or as a school, even if you don't like actually fail. But if you are perceived as failing Mm -hmm. or there's any sort of negative publicity, like it's it's hot out there, like it that gets accelerated Mm -hmm. and boosted up, which, you know, I think that's that's one of those things is like no one wants to be the one school who experiments with something and it goes horribly wrong. Everyone wants to be the innovative school that tries and it goes really well. But like as so many schools, like they don't want to mess with innovation because they know they're in competition for students and the funding dollars that go with it. And now staff and retention and training that uh, can be really, really tricky. Well, and I think, too, you know, there's always room. I think a pilot's often a great idea for innovation. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think with this particular situation, it like, didn't make sense to try with one grade or one subject because of like the technology requirements and the scheduling and the all the ripple effects. And so I think that initially we discussed it for a while. And I wish that I had stopped there and said, like, this is an I got excited and then we'll do this. And then as long <laughs> as we're affecting the schedule here, it's like, oh, my gosh, enough. Sometimes like just you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Go ahead. Do a nice pilot. Because I think you're right. People want to be the like after like this is the school that changed the face but that starts You're with right. like in one classroom right and like yeah. and that's actually like, a great example you can learn a lot it's like small stakes right or small I mean every yeah. classroom is important but like it's smaller than like the entire grade is that doesn't know what they're doing because this curriculum wasn't a good fit so yeah I freaking love a pilot study it's one of those things that I think too few schools and uh, teachers in general like do you know because it, mm-hmm. in part there is that idea of like we, we don't want the bad press so who wants to be the one who's wa- going to experiment with it and you know we don't want two teachers teaching like different methods or strategies because that might mean one of them isn't as effective as the other um, and there's a lot of ego involved with that but like man if people can get over that freaking love a pilot Have study. Have you had a pilot study that didn't go forward, Chase? I'm curious. Or Beth, you too. Like, in my experiences, pilot no, usually goes through. 
Yeah, I, I think like very rarely have I had a moment, you know, at least if it was like a, more of a, a larger scale, like I had many pilot uh, curriculum examples from my classroom of mm. like, I tried out a lesson and a colleague tried out a lesson and I was like, no, nope, like this did not quite go as planned. But I think the, those bigger experiences, like almost always, there's at least enough learning where it, maybe if it's not like A versus B, mm-hmm. it's a combination of like, we're going to mm-hmm. move forward with C. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Beth? Have you, yeah. have you had one that hasn't I happened? think you always have some learnings and that shapes the direction. Yeah. I think also as a leader, sometimes when we pilot things, it truly is like, let's see. And sometimes it's like, nope, this is the direction we're heading in. <laughs> and yeah. we're going to learn from this user to inform us, but like the, we're, we're headed this way. And I think that that can be... Um, it's really important to like accurately label what, like we're going to take the results of this to refine the direction we're heading in, or we truly are just going to see if this is something that we might want to do. And I think that's really important to like label, to reinforce, to say again and again, just to make sure expectations are on the same page. Another area that you kind of brought up uh, in one of your early examples is like this squeaky wheel sort of colleague. Like I think, you know, a lot of times school leaders are, wanting to pilot a change, but in their mind, they're like, ah, that one person is going to friggin' mm-hmm. complain. And, and like every school has one. Like I guarantee all of every us could think school of, has one. <laughs> of that one person. Anytime sometimes something two, like, sometimes three, <laughs> there's always someone willing to step up. That person, you know, yeah. goes to maternity leave. Don't worry. Somebody else stills their place. <laughs> it's like a social vacuum. <laughs> Who is my vice curmudgeon who will step up and take over <laughs> oh the, the torch of Who it will all? be the hater in chief? We yeah. talked so, about so you, self-awareness. Yeah. I wonder if that person would know <laughs> I am that vice curmudgeon. That would be an interesting. Uh huh. I think, and this is total total guess because um, I and maybe this is a lack of self awareness. I don't feel like I was that person who like resisted or criticized much, but like I am willing to bet many of those people feel like they have this righteous duty mm. of like I have mm. to I have to quell this thing that is going to suck up the time of my colleagues and go horribly wrong. Which you know there there is there is absolutely a role for the devil's advocate and for the criticism and the and slowing things down and analyzing critical thought but like we've all seen it where it's like dude you're complaining about like the simplest ask in the world Mm -hmm, like why mm -hmm, are you doing mm -hmm. that um but so when you work with school leaders and they have those staff members like how do you advise them to deal with that do they ignore it do they embrace it do they do the thing where they fake invite them in to be part of the process (laughs) like how how do how do you coach them was it it machiavelli was like keep your enemies closer or something or um there's like lots of different paths to take. No, and it looks like, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I often do with leaders is coach salting. So it's kind of a little bit consulting and a little bit coaching. And so I start with the consulting piece. And the reason is because like, you know, I feel like in coaching, it's great. People have the space, they talk about things, but you know, then you, they say, I'm going to do X for next week. And like, it's hard to find the time. So X isn't done. And I get it. I've been a school leader. I understand like the, the list gets long. And in consulting, you don't walk away with the to-dos, which is awesome. But then people give you this like fancy deck and you go to implement it and it falls apart because the hater in chief is the first one out there. And so I do a lot of this coach salting, which kind of is like a little bit of both. And so we kind of start with actually the consulting part where I really help like with the interviews, surveys, like outside perspective, whatever we can do to kind of get that get a sense of where things are at currently. And then we kind of coach through the changes. But in that kind of current state analysis, which is usually the first step, 
the amount of time I typically spend like really trying to understand who are the dynamics, who's like a little bit radioactive, who's going to set someone else off. And look, I'm never going to have the insight that the people on the ground will have. Mm. But what I can do is like bring the objective perspective, bring the perspective of having seen it a lot of different places before, and then use that to help fill in, right, here's how you might approach this. Like there's never one right way and there's always a lot of variables. I mean, there's a there's a level of like, I do not have like a, a psychi- psychologist degree, I feel like I could maybe at this point, right? <laughs> like what's going on with them? Is it fear? Is it this? Is it whatever? Um, but I think a lot of times it is, you know, trying to understand what they really care about, right? And so mm. I was doing these interviews today at a client site and there's a staff member who is clearly extremely unhappy. And it's unclear to me. I don't think that it's that way to her bosses, And so, you know, it's really trying to understand, is it the fact that her title hasn't changed? Is it the fact her responsibilities have increased? Is it she wasn't, does she not feel respected? Like there's something here. And like, I have a coaching session next week with my client to say like, let's start to talk about how, and like, she'll be able to say, oh, but she's defensive when this happens, this happens. And so we'll kind of think, okay, like, let's think about how we could approach it. And like, what information can you get to know how to move forward? And so I think that like, you know, the, the good part is it's like a set of tools that you can use. So even if this person like goes somewhere else, like you can use a set of tools in any situation. And so I think it helps leaders feel like, okay, now I kind of know how to approach it. And I think honestly, part of it for leaders is kind of just getting okay with like, not everyone's going to think that I'm the greatest. Not everyone's going to like my ideas. Not everyone's going to do this. Like there's just an element of acceptance to be like, this kind of comes with the territory. Right. And so what the valedictorian speaker at the school I founded last year, when I went to the graduation ceremony, said that um she goes well my aunt always says that what is she oh gosh i'm gonna totally screw this up and it was so great she's like right she goes if you if you don't have any haters you're not shining bright enough you gotta you gotta shine you know and it's like to hear this from like the eighth grader right yeah. valedictorian i was like all right i'm taking that to heart yeah oh my gosh so so what i'm hearing is that it's probably not a good move to just tell the haters that the meeting is at a different time and different location ah. of like and i mean but sometimes it's also there sometimes can be this piece of like this is actually not your decision so i respect and, and there's all that's uh-huh. the thing i do in so many schools and so many organizations like let's get clear on decision making rights and like those mm. need sharpening from time to time even if you used to be clear three years ago things have changed how do you like get the line sharp know clearly like who has authority who gives input who does this and and I think that that can be helpful. And sometimes you need to say to people, it's actually not your job. Like this is actually yeah. not your. This is like your your opinion is valued, but ultimately there's like a wide variety of factors. I have this view as the leader of the building. I see a lot of different factors, and like ultimately this is what I'm hired to do to do this. And I think that that can be difficult. It can take courage, and it also can be like people really feeling secure about like this is the right direction I'm taking yeah. the school in. And so in our coaching sessions, they're able to be like, but what about this? Or I'm not sure if this is right, or I don't know, and kind of express that in a way that you can't have that conversation in the lounge, right? Uh You can't have that conversation where someone might overhear you. You And and like, look, your partner or your best friend is tired of hearing about it. And so like, you know, (laughs) you can't, or they don't know. And they're just like, that sounds crazy. So, okay. How do you talk to someone who has the experience, who's been there, who's seen a lot of people go through it as well? We'll be back after this. Educator Happy Hour is brought to you by TYS Speakers. Are you looking to inspire your students or staff to not only motivate their thinking, but their actions in school and beyond? Then check out TYS Speakers. TYS Speakers is a group of carefully vetted speakers and professional development leaders whose messages are engaging, evidence-based, and life-changing. Browse the speakers and watch preview videos at tysspeakers.com.
Something you've, you've kind of alluded to, one of the challenges I think of anything related to like negative emotion or like even cynicism is like our natural instinct is to avoid that. And so mm-hmm. when we feel negativity, see negativity, experience it, like it, it's part of our instinct to be like, screw that person, I'm going to create more distance. And the challenge of leadership and I think education in general is like we have to approach instead and try mm. to maintain and adopt that idea of like just more of a curiosity mindset of like, okay, like I'm going to try to be non-defensive around this and just like try to understand more and learn like, like you said, like what are your core values that are actually attempting to be expressed here? And maybe it's not coming out the way I would like it to, but like, what are your needs? What are your values? What do you care about? Um, it's really freaking hard to do, but that's mm-hmm. kind of one of those pieces that I think goes along with if you are going to embrace change, you have to really learn about your people and accept feedback and be willing to ask the questions to really understand. Absolutely. And that's a great point about cynicism. Is I, and I think, look, like I would guess that that's like evolutionarily hardwired in us. Right. There is probably a reason that our ancestors like avoided the negative. Right. So they didn't get eaten by like the saber toothed tiger or whatever it was. And so I think sometimes people will be like, oh, I should be better. And it's like you're human. You are a human and a leader at the same time. And so you're going to have to navigate some of the, you know, handicaps, quote unquote, of being human, right? And just recognize it. And that's okay. Ming, I cut you off earlier. Beth, I want to make sure we... No, you're all good. So Beth, your area of expertise is really how how to clear those adult problems that keep us um, from reaching our full potential. So we talked about change. We talked about curmudgeon-y people. I don't know if that's the <laughs> official title. Like what else would you, what else would you advise? Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a lot to, um, thinking about, I mean, I think a lot, the curmudgeon people, I think falls under like culture issues, which of which there's like a million variations. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that can be such an important force. I think there's a lot around team dynamics, Mm. right? And so you'll Mm. see a lot about, right, like how teams function, how a leadership team functions, how um, sub teams function. Um, There sometimes will be times where like something happened that was like, you know, borderline, like, you know, like there was a abrupt departure of a beloved leader or, you know, um, a, you know, schools are having, I mean, there's so many things that can happen and people kind of like haven't really dealt with it. And so how do you kind of help people heal and bring them together? A lot of times leaders will come to me and say like, my, I want my culture to have like more of a learning mindset. I want people to come like with a posture of learning. Like, I just want us to learn. Like I, we're not always going to get it right. I don't expect my people to get it right, but everyone's a perfectionist. Everyone's trying for the best. People are hiding their mistakes. Like we can't move forward in this. How do we start to shift the culture to get from where we are, to get to this more positive attribute being woven in. And so we'll kind of work together on that. And so I think what I encourage people to do is like, if you're not sure, just book a call and let's talk about what's going on, right? And I'll be able to offer some perspective and some pieces on this because I think part of what's challenging is that often, you know, leaders are the only person in the building thinking about this or like, or thinking about Mm. it and saying like, this is mine to do something about. Other people might think about it, but it's like, that's somebody else's problem to fix. And leaders like, but how do I fix it? I've kind of thrown all the tools that I know how to at it. And I think sometimes it can feel like, oh, I should be able to do this. But like, you're only one person. You only have so much time. You only have so much perspective. 
And, you know, sometimes we stagnate, right? Like I think about leadership as a never ending staircase. And a lot of times we're climbing the stairs and feeling stimulated and using our, you know, skills and abilities. And other times we just kind of get stuck. And so I Mm. think when you get stuck and you've been stuck for a while, like you need someone to help you get unstuck, right? And that's where coaches, consultants, kind of bringing folks in can be really helpful. And so that's why we kind of work to help people level up their leadership in that way. We have uh, a lot of school leaders who listen to Educator Happy Hour, but we also have a lot of teachers in practice um, in various roles. And so if we think about, like, I remember the amount of times when I was like, what can I do to shift Mm -hmm, even just like mm -hmm. my department's like beliefs Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. ideas around this? Um, What would be your advice or your tips for someone who is more on quote unquote the ground level who really yeah, is passionate yeah. about a change or wants innovation, like what do they do? Just do their own That's thing and give question. middle fingers to everyone else? <laughs> <laughs> Shut the door and just do what you want. I miss those yeah, yeah. days. Those were great days. Um, <laughs> the beauty of the shut door. I was like, yeah. oh, here's what I'm doing. Uh, enjoy that freedom and think where I'm at. I mean, I think that I often approach this with two pieces of advice. One is kind of more like bigger picture and the other is just like more of kind of an inspirational piece. And so um, Hmm. one thing that uh, I always say is like, if you see something and you really care about and you want to do something about it, I think going to somebody else who cares about it and saying, I see this, I care about Hmm. this. Here's what I think. Here's how I can help. Here's what I can do. Right. I think sometimes it can feel like, Hmm. Um, I think when people come with a solution, it helps tremendously. I think they come with a willingness to work. Yes. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not necessarily the pe- person listening doesn't think it's important, but if I've got 200 things to do and this is 201, yeah. right? How does it go from right. 201 to my top five, right? And so, <laughs> but hey, if you're willing to do something about it, if you want to take this on, I think that's actually like a great way. And I think that savvy leaders are able to say, okay, great. Actually, let's put you in charge of a committee. Let's help you gather this information. Like I want to empower you to move forward. Um, And the other thing that I tell people to remember is to think about kind of the small differences. And so with my students, Mm -hmm. we used to do this and we called it the one twelfth mindset and we would do some serious math and I'm not a huge sports person. And so (laughs) this example is like the sports fanatics listening are going to be like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But I think that, I think that's your, we used to study at the time Derek Jeter was like, you know, the biggest, you know, the the star in MLB, right? Everyone knows Derek Jeter. He's such a superstar. He's so great. Here's his batting average. Here's his stats. A blah, Yankees blah, blah. player now that you're in New York City, Beth. <laughs> well, I have it's to true, dive in because he is a Kalam- Kalamazoo native, Kalamazoo, what? Michigan. So, I didn't like, really oh, know yeah. That. Oh, oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, who knew? In there the we suburbs are. of See? Kalamazoo. The suburbs? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> yeah. Is that like the far suburbs of Milwaukee? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, that keep, keep going. Now that we got sidetracked. Ask, ask me to name like three. It's okay. If you said like name three great baseball players, I might be stuck at Derek Jeter. I go to like, you know, Willie Mays or someone like who's, you know, got probably resting in peace somewhere. Yeah. So you've got Derek Jeter, you look at his stats and you figure it out. And then we pulled another guy whose name I even forget. It was like Alvin something. It was like some guy. Now let's look at this. Let's look at his batting average. And basically, when you broke down the difference between Derek Jeter and this very average MLB player, the difference was one out of every 12 hits, one out of every 12 hits more Derek Jeter made. And so we talked a lot about Mm. the fact that like 12 times, only one of them did Derek Jeter was able to connect when this guy didn't. And that's the difference between kind of being an average player and a superstar. And so when you think about, Mm. you know, do my actions make a difference? I think it's like embracing this one 12th mindset, like the smallest things 
everything we do has a reaction, has a set of consequences, positive or negative. And so when you start to think about how do I start change, I want this to be more cultural feedback. What do I do? What can you start doing that's a pretty small thing because it's still going to have an impact? You can start by closing your meetings with saying, what's one thing that could have been better? What's one thing you appreciated, right? You can Mm. start by asking for shout outs at the beginning of a meeting. You can start by saying, you know, you can put like a great growth mindset um, bulletin board up. You can start with like a two minute video on that. Like everything is going to, you know, contribute to some sort of mass and momentum. And so I think sometimes people feel like, oh, to do it right, we'd have to do 10 million things. And it's like, well, Hmm. Derek Jeter didn't hit the ball 10 million times more effectively than this other player. It was one out of every 12 times. And so I think that that sometimes helps us think about like where at the margins could we start to think about changing things or doing things. And then, you know, look, people will say, hey, I liked you that in your meeting. I'm going to do that in my meeting. Hey, I liked how you did your class this way. I'm going to do my class this way. And you start to build mm. some momentum in that way. So I think and that's also think, important to remember. Beth, like those 12 things, you want to pick the high leverage 12 things, not like random yes let me do this thing that doesn't really make much of an impact or no it doesn't really matter yeah no I would say like whenever possible you want to be strategic I think it's it's kind of like the advice you get about exercising right they say like what's the best kind Hmm. of exercise to do and it's like whatever kind you're gonna do (laughs) so like if you're gonna ride a bike Ming ride a bike Chase you wanna run run but Ming if you're not gonna run don't say you're gonna run because it's like better for you than biking (laughs) because the reality is like compared to sitting on your couch right it's still better and so I think it's the same thing okay I do feel like sometimes when people will do is they'll start something they'll do it like once and like oh my it didn't work it's like wow that's actually like not how like you know if you think about like change over time like I took my kids to Zion National Park this summer which was incredible and they're like these all these amazing like rock formations and like Hmm. all of this started from like these rivers and like dripping and like over time of millions of years like trying it at one meeting isn't going to necessarily change the trajectory. But I do think, I think when possible, look, your time and resources are energy, you know, Mm -hmm. your most precious time and energy, your most precious resources. If you have 12 things, what do you think is going to make the biggest impact in the way that's needed? Pick that one. But also if there's one you really want to try or the one you think you might try, go for it. Right. Like Mm. that's better than the one that might be high impact that you won't get to do because maybe you're in your head about it or it requires more prep or it's more time consuming. And so I think that, you know, if the barrier is starting, just start with whatever is easiest or excites you the most. Mm. I love that. Love that so much. Just like, just even from like the personal well, permission Well, it can get you into trouble with the curriculum sometime. Watch out. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that enthusiasm will carry you right through to problem town. So you do want to check yourself, but <laughs> it's funny. Fair point on that one. Um, we, I could keep going all day long. I have like 30 different questions running in my mind right now, but I have to tell myself like, stop. We have to get towards some resolution within this episode. Um, so we're going to move into our final segment of this episode with you um, that we call statements. Ming and I are going to give you a statement and your options in response are to strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. So there's no middle ground. And I have to remind Ming every time there is no neutral. Um, I do. That's our rubric. You can't just pick the middle. Yep. <laughs> Rubrics need to be well, four Chase points always. You feel very one. strongly about 
<laughs> I make my own middle, and it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time Ming tries to come up with some uh, middle ground response, it's true. Um, so we'll we'll pitch one. You'll get a chance to respond. We might elaborate a little bit more. Um, we're going to start with one that has nothing to do with our topic, um, but it's been on my mind, so I need to Ooh. voice this. Um, here's yeah. your statement. It should be illegal to play Christmas music before oh. Thanksgiving or holiday music <laughs> in general. It should be illegal to play holiday music before Thanksgiving. You first, Beth. Um, I would say, I think I would have to say disagree. I think I agree with the spirit. Like, I don't <laughs> like starting kind of like, we just out. But I think that we have like a lot of things with like illegal. Illegal is the thing that's making me go to disagree. Because <laughs> I'm like, I just think we can spend our energy better places. <laughs> Even though I agree spiritually, it's like something problematic about all the holiday pieces. Of, although I did get some good holiday sales today. That's November 8th. So, you know, <laughs> the sales can start early, but not the music. I don't know. <laughs> I think she's trying to go neutral on us, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard me. I was on each side. I can hear you, Ming. Yeah. I you. Ming, what are your thoughts? I agree. Cut it out. Come on now. Yeah, I I generally agree. I mean, similar to you, Beth, like it, making it illegal, a law, probably, probably going to be a little bit too much, but just as a basic policy, I think I think we should we should hold traditions and not water them down by because honestly, like for the longest time, I was like, I don't really care. But I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm gonna get sick of all of this stuff like mm-hmm. a month before Christmas hits, and like then it loses some of its magic and some of its joy. Um, so that's where I'm at. Just bringing in my my <laughs> Grinch, my 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 Scrooge on okay. that one. My question does have to do with what we're talking about. Are you ready? Hey. So, mm-hmm. uh, Beth, I know you also are a Gallup Strengths coach. Um, so this is a sidebar. I would love to know your top five strengths. And then here, <laughs> <laughs> there's always like a caveat. Um, coaching to strengths is more important than coaching to areas of growth. Agree, disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree. I'd say strongly agree, but I'm a biased audience. And and I would say that doesn't mean you don't coach areas of growth, but I think as a Gallup strengths coach, which I can do you, are, have you taken the strengths finder, the Clifton Strengths Finder, Ming? I have. Do you know your top I five? I do. Oh, good. I would love to hear that'd be so interesting. Um Chase. But I think like it's ha- have you taken it? He I needs have not, to. No. <laughs> it's fantastic. Look, like, I just think it's really about when when I do the strengths coaching, it's about like what uh, knowing and understanding your strengths, but also like, how do you aim those at your problem? So it's not maybe that you're not addressing your deficits. You're just like channeling your strengths to do that. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, I think that was another neutral answer, Beth. Ish. <laughs> no, I, I strongly agree. I, I strongly think agree. Okay, okay. We'll give you a payoff. Okay. I strongly agree. Chase, it what doesn't about mean you? you don't address areas of growth. Okay. But Chase, yeah. you. So I understand the research, at least from positive psychology, of the value of like signature strengths and and that is like a a source of of purpose and fulfillment and all that. But I'm going to say disagree on this one from the standpoint of when I had a role as an instructional coach. 
Uh, and I worked with teachers who like, they had some great strengths in some areas, but like, mm. if we didn't spend deep time working on the areas mm -hmm. where they were struggling, like the, the, there was no room for those strengths to show. So like classroom management, like they were great with, you know, being able to engage a lesson, but like their classroom management was so bad. It was like, this is the chaos and this is the moment. It's not a strength. Mm -hmm. So like we have mm -hmm. to prioritize that. So um, for, for that, that reason, that's the only reason I would, I would lean towards disagree. Well, and I think like using the Gallup lens specifically, what you would do, it, mm. and I do agree, I think, because people want to skirt and stay away from whatever the negative. You have to say like, hey, if management's a problem, management's a problem. But the way that you mm. might address management if your top five strengths are consistency as opposed if they're relator, as opposed if they're there. So like we're going to deal with management, but we're going to figure out how to do that in a way that's going to honor what comes to you easily, right? I'm not going to make you manage your classrooms the exact same ways because you're different people, but we're going to kind of think about what's most important as criteria for success and then use your strengths to manage through there. Mm, I like that. Ming, share your answer. That's going to be a whole other episode. Yeah, You're yeah. going to yeah. be surprised. I'm kind of in between. It's my own statement. <laughs> but I agree and disagree. Oh, because I... I love, like, for me, I know you're supposed to, like, celebrate, build on your strengths, but when someone's giving me really critical feedback, I'm like, okay, awesome. I know how I can make that better. And so I tend to, mm -hmm. probably because I grew up with a tiger mom, focus on my areas of growth mm. versus areas of strength. So mm. that's my answer. <laughs> what are own, your five even strengths? Even your own statement. Even my own statement. Okay, here's my top five really <laughs> quick. Um, it is woo, positivity, input, restorative, and communication. Oh, wow. We have a lot of the same ones. That's so interesting. Okay, what are your five? I have activator, oh, yeah. that's maximizer, positivity, input, and communication. Oh, yeah. Activators in my top 10. Oh, wow. And a lot of influencing ones. Yeah. Which makes sense because you, I mean, you hosting a podcast. This is like not where people who don't like to, others to listen to them would be. There is a percentage of listeners who are nerding out so hard at this. And there's another percentage who are like, what is They're happening taking notes. right now? Right, exactly. um, so the, the only other thing I'll say on this topic before we get to our final statement is like, I, I would be curious framing this of the difference between character strengths versus skill strengths, weaknesses. Mm -hmm. I, there, there could be some, you know, like oh. you can utilize your character strengths to help develop a skill weakness, et cetera. But um, we're, I'm going to try to keep you you two from going down this little good. journey good. together. Please do. I can, Please see do. It. I can see it coming. Yeah. Um, so okay, here's last our, statement. our final... Final statement, um, Beth, you've, you've probably been in a position where you've had to like lead professional development or learning in front of educators. And Ming, I know you and I both have as well. So um, your statement is teachers behave worse than kids when learning in workshops or lessons. <laughs> uh, I think it depends on the audience. I, I think it depends. <laughs> but but if I were going to pick. If you were going to say to me, if you were going to say to me, like, you've got a group of kids and a group of adults, like, who is going to be better? Yeah. I would probably pick the kids. But I will say, like, I mean, just like when I was leading the <laughs> charter network, I would, like, we set our expectations. I mean, I treat it like my classroom all year and be like, we're well, review, review, review. So, like, I got them whipped into shape. You know, we were okay. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going in cold. But if I was going in cold, I might pick a group of students to be better. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, you know, you can, you, can get, you can get the adults there just like you can get the kids there. Yeah. 
I strongly agree, and I will take adults <laughs> any day too. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I would say I generally agree. I'd be in the, in the agree, not quite strongly agree, because. And, and maybe it's I feel more comfortable with helping to manage teachers a little bit. But like, I, I still agree because if it's not going well, I feel like teachers are way more vocal to let you know it's not mm. going well than a lot of students. Like <laughs> you will see and hear very clearly some of their nonverbals around that. Um, but none, I mean, none of the people who are in front of us in workshops, you know, none of the, the educators that we work with would ever, ever not behave well or focus or ask great questions or take out a newspaper in the middle of a training session. Oh, man. <laughs> um, Beth, we, we are so thankful that you're able to carve out some time um, in this evening to share not only your passion, your insights around helping coach and support leaders and educators of all kinds, but um, just sharing your personality, like getting a chance to to know you as a human being has been awesome and insightful. So um, we're just going to close out and say thank you not only for the work you do, but thank you for who you are. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. Chase, what were your takeaways from Beth? There were a lot of things I could relate to, both from, you know, having been in a a position of influencing educators and trying to create some change initiative and also like being a a teacher uh, myself and being in that position. But like towards the end, she talked about the idea of like, I really loved that like one out of 12 or one twelve analogy that really... It resonated with me, but like what was interesting is, you know, she's talking about making those small changes, but for me, it was like small changes that are habituated because I think sometimes myself included, like I'll try a little change and like, just because it isn't perfect at that moment, I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. And so like, I never get a chance to build up momentum. Um, and maybe that's just where I'm at, like personally and professionally, but like, I think just looking at those ideas of like, what, what is a little thing I can do differently that I'm actually going to stick with and, and not give up on after the first few efforts um, feels really manageable. It feels really practical and it feels like the type of thing that um, can help me and hopefully a lot of other people make the shifts regardless of the role, whether they're in a leadership or not, of just like trying to embrace the, the movement. Would you pair that? Like how would, how do you envision it becoming habituated, like patterning it with a habituated behavior that already exists or you're like, man, I I just thought of this. (laughs) Like why go so deep? (laughs) I would think in terms of like creating systems, um, you know, like if we are going to, I don't know, like shift our literacy practices, like that doesn't necessarily mean that we bring in a whole new literacy program, but like what if every Monday I use a targeted text and I implement a strategy of just like doing a little bit more interactive with my students and having them do some close analysis and reading. Um, And I don't try to do that for every single assignment. I don't do every single day but it's just like once a week 10 15 minutes i'm going to repeatedly do this thing um i think that's what it would be like if you're a school leader like rather than revamping like 
how you do meetings entirely. Like what's a little thing towards the end of a meeting or beginning of a meeting that you could implement to like, I don't know, get feedback more regularly or um, help staff feel more connected. Let's, it would have to be something that could be repeated as a practice, a habit or a system in order for it to, to fit in what I'm, I'm envisioning in my mind. Oh, cool. I love that, Chase. So mine was really similar to yours with the 112th um, at the end. But what I, when I asked her that question of, does it have to be high leverage or kind of just like see what sticks? I think often in education, it attracts achievers, perfectionists. And we're like, well, we (laughs) have to wait till like that one thing that we know will be a needle mover. And and I think where we trip up is waiting, like just tried, like the Nike slogan, just, just do it. Like take action, (laughs) whatever action it is, as long as it's not harming kids, it's one step better than what you're currently doing. So I'm just thinking like, what's that plus one? Um, And if it doesn't work, we can always circle back, backtrack, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is there something that you've had on your mind of like, I really, whether it's personally or professionally, like this is, this is a change I need to embrace or do, but it's not perfect yet. So I'm not going to give it a go. Is there something Obviously that comes to mind for you? Keynote. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. The creation of a keynote. The creation of the a- keynote. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Just, yeah, just that, that could be more more perfectly timed. For. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that leads us into homework, and I'm going to give you the assignment. Yes. Um, let's just get like direct. You you are crafting a new keynote um, to share Ooh. with audiences, and my assignment for you over the next week <laughs> is to just draft out a potential, even if it's just a module or piece of your keynote or a flow, um, knowing that it's not going to be perfect, but like actually putting it on a document or on a page so that it exists and lives somewhere. That's your assignment. Okay. Your assignment, I don't know how you're going to do it. I would like to know your (laughs) Clifton strengths. (laughs) Okay. How, how, for listeners out there, is that something we have to pay for to do? It is. So that's why I'm like, oh, you're Son of a biscuit. I know your, your thing is costly, but I wonder <laughs> if we reach out to Beth and be like, hey, can you give Chase a free account? Yeah, there you go. Someone um, out there has probably copied Chase. Can someone give Chase an account so he can take, so we can know hey, his dear strengths? listeners, <laughs> I want to know the sketchiest of you listeners out there. Please <laughs> send me your back channels. I'll at least like I'll at least I'll do some research around it. How about that? I'll at least research and try to understand how that process might look. Um, because yeah, I would be curious. I'm always curious on those things of of where people stack up. Um, beautiful, beautiful. Um, with that, uh, where are you going to be in the next week, Ming? In good old Illinois with Wi-Fi. What about you? Suburbs of Chicago. Um, I am going to be in Springfield, Missouri, and then Pigeon, Michigan next week. Um, Doing a keynote and then like a three-hour workshop um, with some educators. It's going to be a back-to-back, one of those wild ones of like traveling from place to place and then i get some a little bit of of rest and relaxation um aside from the many other activities over the next week um beyond just finding you in the suburbs of chicago how can people find you me 
Come find me on Instagram at Ming Shelby. On the Insta, and you can follow me at Chase Milky. Be on the lookout not only for just our, our episode thoughts, but some statement polls coming your way in about a week. With that, thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, share, do all the things um, to try to help <laughs> us keep doing this work. And we will see you all next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.